Welcome back to the Colorado Switchblade Podcast. I'm Jason Van Tatenhove, your host, coming to you out of Estes Park, Colorado. In today's podcast, we don't have an interview for you. I just wanted to do a quick one and introduce a new project that I'm going to be working on. Many of my new readers and listeners may have come across my name and what I'm doing um, from links included on some of the national news media that I've been on recently since the beginning of the year. Um, it's been a heavy news cycle for me, starting off right right the first week of January um, when I was uh, featured in a Hulu documentary from uh, it's called Homegrown from Standoff to Rebellion. And uh, I'm in that quite a bit. Uh, that rolled over into um, the ABC's Start Here podcast um, on January 6th. I was the special guest on that. I was on Nightline later that night. Um, uh, I made it into just kind of a video clip, a montage of stuff. Um, and my video clip actually made it onto Good Morning America, talking about some of the, the dangers uh, associated with the uh, extremist militia movement. Um, and, uh, you know, I've been reached out to, to, by major networks and stuff. And even the local media here in Colorado is beginning to catch up and, and figure out who I am. Um, and, and part of that is because I've, I've really been laying low since my, my five years ago when I walked away from the Oath Keepers. And what you need to understand, um, this is documented in many different articles and whatnot, but, um, I used to work for the Oath Keepers. I was there. Um, national media director. And it didn't start off as a job. It started off as just me as being a alternative independent journalist who just happened to get embedded with Stuart Rhodes going down to Bundy Ranch to cover those issues for um, some radio shows on Revolution Radio and just some of the own right, my own writing and podcasting I was doing at the time. Um, and you got to understand my, my, my biggest influence and hero really Growing up and in my young adult life has been Hunter Thompson, Hunter S. Thompson, the the father of gonzo journalism or participatory journalism. And I saw this event um, as, as a way for me to possibly embed in with this extremist group, much like Hunter S. Thompson did with the Hells Angels um, for his breakout novel, The Hells Angels. Um, and, you know, that was kind of the mindset I went into things with. And I covered three of their standoffs um, in, in three different states. Um, and then uh, I was offered a job. And you got to understand, I, I had moved to uh, Butte, Montana with my family. We had owned a tattoo shop that I had sold in Fort Collins, Colorado. It was called Runic Body Art. And um, I've been in the... I've been in the body art business almost as long as I've been in the uh, media business. I kind of started both things at the same time in life. I was I was in media a little bit before I was in the body art world. And that started off with my first art school that I went to, the, the Colorado Institute of Art, of art. And during that time, I became the art director for a local underground music magazine called Color Red. And um, so it became my job like, at 21 to, to go to concerts six days a week and interview rock stars and take pictures and take concert pictures and produce the paper, you know, coming up with what the cover is going to be and the layout and everything else. And that kind of snowballed into writing. And then from there, 
um, I was involved in a bunch of different things, things like uh, the the Colorado Bullhorn, which is based out of uh, Fort Collins, where with CSU right there. Um, I also started one of the first online wine magazines called Wine Brain with uh, a business partner in Shiloh, my wife, um, and really approached that as just a, a fine art piece. And we actually had Playboy calling to to interview us about it, and and that got all fucked up, but. Regardless, um, you know, I've always been doing some sort of kind of underground media thing, some sort of new, uh, you know, whatever the new technology was. I had an e-zine back in the 90s called Nod. Um, and uh, yeah, just always kind of doing something with with either writing or producing media. Um, and my look, my, my newest iteration is the Colorado Switchblade, which is actually doing pretty well for his, the age. Um, but anyway... Um, I don't even know how I got off on this tangent. So I've always been writing and I, I, I approached this as a writer. And then I wound up becoming a propagandist for the Oath Keepers because when you're, you know, you're six foot tall, 230 pounds covered with tattoos, you know, my hands are tattooed, my arms everywhere, my face, the sides of my head, my neck. Um, you know, I have a mohawk. I've had a mohawk more in life than I've had any other haircut. Um, I'm currently growing it out now, but I'm sure it'll return once the heat of summer comes back. Um, it, it can be hard to find a job in Northwestern Montana when you're six foot, 230 pounds and covered with tattoos. And like all you wear is old concert t-shirts and, and awful sweaters. But, you know, um, I just always have done it. I always will do it what I didn't want to do is, is become known as that Oath Keepers guy. And that's what I'm going to have to live with that, that label for a while. But as time goes on and as I, people get to know like what my writing was beforehand and what I'm doing now and what I've been doing since, um, you know, I think it'll all work out and people understand kind of who I am and where I'm coming from and, and what I've done. And, uh, so I've always wanted to write this book and, um, because there's no real interest from the publishers at this point, I'm sure once, you know, the, uh, I've been, I've been uh, asked to testify before the congressional investigators for the Capitol six uh, insurrection. Um, and I've already gone through some informal stuff and I'm flying out to Washington, DC uh, first thing next week. And I thought that would be a good opportunity to start a new project based on the book. And it will eventually become a book. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to do audio podcasts, audio, you know, almost like an audio book where I tell the stories of my time with the Oath Keepers. And I'm going to call the project Propagandist. And it will be a standalone uh, podcast thread on the Colorado Switchblade. But you will have to be a member to access this. And this is because, you know, this is how I support my family. This is what I do. And, um, you know, the, I, when it comes to the news and the stuff I'm doing generally on the Colorado Switchblade, I give that all away for free. I think that needs to be free because I'm dealing with a lot of breaking local news and regional stuff that no one else is covering. And I, if I've taken the time to write about it or, you know, make a podcast about it, I feel it's an important issue. And I don't want to keep that from the people like myself who are, are not very financially well off that we're, yeah, we're surviving and then we're, we're making it work, but you know, we don't have a lot of extra income. So I want to keep all that stuff free, but I do have to make money where I can, 
you know, and I, I make a little bit of money on my novels and, you know, it's all adding up over time. But this is a way for me to tell these stories, uh, stories that people want to hear. And it's not going to cost that much. I mean, my memberships are, they start at $5 a month, which is basically, you go to Starbucks today and order a medium to large coffee and you're going to be paying more for that one drink than for a whole month of what I put out here. And I always wanted to do it as kind of a reader supported thing. I will be having a few businesses that sponsor the podcast. It's only going to be like three of them a month and there'll be, you know, businesses I know are doing the right things and such. Um, but as far as this goes, it's just going to be like an audio book, almost like a, a hybrid between an audio book and a podcast. And you will have to pay, be a full member to access them. I'm going to put out this first one for free. Um, but after that, I'm going to uh, lock everything down when it comes to that. Um, and, and once you pay the membership, you get access to everything. So if it's something you want to follow and you're interested in hearing those stories, then you're going to have to, um, sign up. And again, it's not that much. And it really, it goes towards just making sure my family and I can survive in this, this brave new world that we suddenly find ourselves in. So again, the project's going to be called Propagandist. And I figured I'd start off by just reading my first chapter and putting in my comments as I go. Now, this chapter is available on my website as well, Colorado Switchblade, um, and it's under the title, The First Chapter of My Nonfiction Novel, Selling the Revolution. Well, I don't know if I'm going to keep that, that title or not. I think Propagandist works better, and that's going to be the title of you know the, the audio segment of this. And I, I plan to take all these audio files and, and actually write an actual book about it once it's all complete. But I thought it'd be a fun journey to try to do it this way too. So I'm going to go ahead and just jump in and begin to read the first chapter of The Propagandist. Now, keep in mind, before I jump into that, that um, this is just the first chapter of an example that I put together. The project's actually going to start with the first chapter being my podcasting next week, after next week, that starts off with my experience flying to Washington, D.C. to talk to a congressional uh, group of investigators about the January 6th riots, kind of the history and background of the Oath Keepers. So that's actually going to be the start of the project. But for today, kind of give you an idea of, of what things might be like. I was going to read just the first chapter of this example chapter that I put together for the, um, you know, the book um, presentation that we, we supplied to publishers. Hope you like it. And, uh, you know, things are going to be free form. They're going to change. They're going to adapt. This is kind of like a brainstorming session in the works. And, um, you know, things evolve art and writing evolves as you do it. So because you're going to be joining me on this journey um, every week, having new addition to this project, um, you know, you'll get to see those changes in that evolution firsthand. So I hope you enjoy it. Here's the first chapter. It was a cold but sunny day in Kalispell, Montana. The sky was an exquisite bright blue broken up by brilliant white clouds that looked like paint that had been daubed onto the sky itself. There was still a bite of cold in the air as half a dozen of us made a quick trip to the other side of town to pick up some last-minute supplies. 
We pulled into the mostly empty parking lot of a strip mall that was new a decade ago. The sign above the office was the same as any other realtor's office. The only indication this was not just another real estate office was a small sticker that hung low on the window, framing the front door. It was black with two yellow words, Oath Keepers, framed in a curved border. The woman sitting at the front desk had a look of surprise when we walked in. Everyone but me was wearing mismatched camouflage clothing that looked like it probably came from the clearance section of the local army surplus store. I was the only one in the group not dressed up like a patchwork soldier. I wore blue jeans and a retro western shirt unbuttoned over an old black and white Ramones concert t-shirt. I was the only one of these rough-looking men not wearing a gun. She nervously began to ask how she could help us when a well-styled man in a business suit poked his head out of a back office. It's okay. They're here to see me, he assured the woman and motioned for us to follow him to the back, where a dark stairway led down into the basement. Worn wooden steps creaked and swayed as we followed the man into the unlit basement. I was the last to start down the stairs. As I made my way down, fear began to rise from my already nervous stomach. I had no idea who any of these people were. The man in the suit flicked a switch at the bottom of the stairs, and pops of light flashed and flickered across a couple of long fluorescent tubes that ran down the center support beam. Half the bulbs stayed dark. As I joined the rest of the group, it dawned on me why we made the trip across town. The basement held racks, shelves, and boxes filled with what looked to be military surplus equipment. Shelves were filled with hundreds of faded gray and black metal high-capacity ammunition magazines for assault rifles. Towards the back sat an old folding table that held a dozen or so fixed-blade knives that brought back memories of old Rambo movies I watched as a kid. On the floor in front of the table lay several body armor vests and plate carriers. Some seemed old, but some looked modern. In the racks hung military-style jackets, tactical pants, and t-shirts in various earth-tone camouflage patterns. There were racks of combat boots, and the back wall had shelves that lined with a large selection of cardboard boxes containing different caliber ammunition. The man turned to the group. Help yourselves with what you need. You guys are heading into a hornet's nest, and I want to support things as best I can. I know Stuart will square up and make things right after this whole thing is over. He better. The others in the group let out a cheer. They looked like kids on allowance day at the toy store as they began picking over the treasure trove, hurriedly grabbing whatever they thought they might need in a shootout with the U.S. government. I looked around the makeshift armory and wondered what I'd gotten myself into. The only thing that caught my attention was an old Iraq war flak jacket with media written across the back and chest with strips of old gray duct tape. I grabbed the vest. The rally point was at an older hotel complex that ran along the runway of a smaller community airport on the south side of town. The front parking lot was empty, but once we pulled into the back parking lot, we came upon a group of about 60 people standing outside their vehicles. Many of them dressed like they were about to be extras in some low-budget war movie. People gathered into small groups around the pickup trucks and cars with tailgates down and trunks open, eating some summer barbecue fare while swilling soda and laughing at conversations. 
The scene felt more like a tailgate party than a gathering of Montana's anti-government who's who, getting ready to caravan down to a small desert town south of Las Vegas to square up with federal law enforcement officers over grazing rights and seized cattle. Everyone there was armed to the teeth and looked prepared to head off to war. There were piles of military-style backpacks, body armor, helmets, camping equipment, duffel bags filled with ammunition, and long black plastic travel cases used to transport rifles. And then once again, suddenly it hit me. I didn't know anyone there. I'd moved to Montana from Colorado only earlier that year. I considered just getting back into my car and heading back home. But then my phone dinged with a new text message. It was from my contact, Jim White. He arranged for me to travel down to Bundy Ranch to cover the standoff. Hey, you back at the rally point yet? I typed back a response. Yes, just got back from the supply run. Okay, good. What do you look like? Where you at? I'm here too. Look for the guy not wearing camouflage, the one covered with tattoos and a mohawk. I heard a voice yell out from across the parking lot. Jason, hey, I'm Jim. A large, heavyset man with a mop of curly brown hair and freckles waved at me and began walking my way with a goofy smile. His fatigues were too tight for his body, and he was already sweating heavily. He seemed friendly. Hey, man, glad you could make it. We need more media people to help get the word out about what's happening down there. I smiled. Thanks. I appreciate you setting up this opportunity for me. Where's Stuart Rhodes at? We're riding down with him, right? Jim chuckled before answering. Oh, he's going to be late. He's always late into his own events. But yeah, we'll be riding down with Stuart and a couple of the other guys. I checked out your podcast and website. I like your work. It's a little bit leftish, but you seem to be fair in how you approach stories. Thanks. I'm really just a hack writer and a radio guy, but it's what I got going on right now. Well, you'll have one hell of a story after this trip. We mingled with some of the local militia types as we waited. Everyone there seemed to know Jim and follow his website and YouTube channel, Northwest Liberty News. We waited for over an hour in the parking lot, sitting on my suitcase as the chill wind blew down from the picturesque mountains surrounding the town. We were waiting for the leader of this group to arrive and lead the way down to a new range war that had kicked off a week earlier at the old rundown family cattle ranch outside of the small town of Bunkerville, Nevada. The story had been picked up a few weeks back. It started to make national headlines after the aging patriarch of the family put out a call for cowboys, patriots, and good Americans to come to stand with the Bundys as they protested the U.S. Bureau of Land Management, which had seized their cattle with armed tactical law enforcement teams. Clive and Bundy had long refused to pay the fees required to graze his cattle on public lands. It was not because he lacked the money, but because he felt he should be paying fees to the local government instead of the federal government. That was his story anyway. Later, I would come to believe they just wanted to pick a fight. The federal cops had also arrested one of Bundy's sons and used an attack dog on family members and friends as they protested the seizure. They then tried to say that the only place people could legally protest was in a small rectangular area off the highway, fenced off with a flexible fluorescent orange netting. Of course, there were videos taken of all this, and they raged like wildfire across the internet. Alex Jones picked up the story and put out Clive and Bundy's call to the world. 
The first time I had ever heard of Stuart Rose was a week previous when he was a guest on Alec Jones and urged good American patriots to get their guns and ammo and join him in facing off against the government. He was sure to mention it was vitally important for those good Americans who couldn't make it down to Bunny Ranch to support the Oath Keepers in this battle with donations. Eventually, a new shiny white SUV with black tinted windows pulled around the hotel until the back parking lot. A low murmur ran through the crowd that Stuart Rhodes had arrived. The truck pulled alongside the crowd and shut off its engine. The tinted windows kept any of us from seeing who was inside. There was an awkward silence as the crowd waited for Stuart to emerge. Instead, we began to hear a muffled yelling coming from inside. It sounded like one side of an argument. The yelling stopped and a short, overweight man wearing matching black polo shirt and ball cap, both of which had a yellow emblazoned logo embroidered on them, opened the door and exited. He ended the call, cell phone still in hand, and took off the beat-up, sweat-stained ball cap to wipe the sweat from his balding head. Hey, y'all, I'm here. We ready to go? The crowd closed in to shake Stewart's hand, pat him on the back, and tell him how proud they were of him for taking a stand on the front lines down at the Battle of Bunkerville. He took the time at length to talk to every single one of the people in depth, save for the members that were actually going to Nevada with him. It took another hour just for Stewart to get through talking to everyone. By that time, the crowd had dwindled off, and there were only about a dozen men still with their gear in piles, ready to be packed into pickup trucks that they would drive down to Nevada. Jim introduced me as the writer and radio guy that he had told Stuart about last night. Stuart stood back and looked me over like he was sizing me up. You bring guns, he asked. I answered without thinking. No, I figured there would be already enough there. But I did bring my laptop camera and microphone. I find them to be much more effective than guns. Stuart stared silently at me for a moment before laughing and shaking my hand. Nice to meet you, Jason. Get your gear in my truck. We need to drive all night. And that was the first chapter of the book I've been working on. Again, I'm going to use the the information I had gathered and all the outlines and such for this new project called The Propagandist. That's not the first episode of The Propagandist. This is just kind of a preview of what I'm thinking. I'm actually going to create the first episode while I'm in Washington, D.C. next week and going through the congressional inquest. I thought that'd be a really cool experience to share with you all in an immersive journalism style project. And that project will lead me to talking about the entire history of my story with the Oath Keepers. So I hope you enjoy that. And if you do, again, you're going to have to buy a membership to get those podcasts, those episodes. But I think they're going to be well worth it. And let's face it, it's only $5. Quit being so cheap. All right. Well, that's it for today. I will, uh, I'll be speaking with you soon. Tomorrow we should have a podcast up um, talking with Corey Hutchins and some of the uh, local media coverage I've been having and having a discussion on the state of local journalism here in Colorado. So I hope you enjoy it and I'll talk to you soon. I'm Jason Van Tatenow.